0: Pants Lance, pants Lance, pants Lance. Yeah. There's an old saying from a fella named Olson uh, Welles, Some of you may have heard of him, and uh, goes like this: uh, A poet needs a pen, a painter a brush, and a director an army. And that's what we're talking about today: is uh, putting together a movie and uh, some of the parts that go into it and why. So many people are involved, so I'll turn it over to Smarter Pants Lance. Hello, everybody. Let's talk about my latest movie adventure. I'm playing a southerner in a feature film to be coming to your theater near you. How do they know where you are? Well, I guess they do somehow. There are many who have asked me what goes on behind the scenes when making a movie or a TV show or a commercial, so I thought I would use my most recent example as a for instance. The idea is I'm playing a southerner, and I'm going to go up to a house, and I'm going to ring the doorbell, and a albino teenage girl is going to answer the door. And the reason I go to this house is because her daddy, Dungal Missin, and no one's uh, seen him. He, He ain't showed up at work for over a week. I drive to the set, which is an actual location in Van Nuys, California, of course. People are familiar with Los Angeles. All you have to do is say Van Nuys, and they're like, (laughs) yeah, that's probably like Lower Alabama for sure. My call time is at 2 o'clock. Call time means that you're supposed to be on set At that particular time but I always show up a good 20 minutes to 30 minutes early just to make sure what with traffic etc and you know I'm a pro so I show up and I walk up to this house and it's a house that was probably built maybe around the late 1950s sort of a flat roof ranch style house part of the roof slightly caved in somewhat reminded me of the Haney place if anyone's ever seen it on Green Acres That's where Mr. and Mrs. Douglas lived. Uh, There's a semi-curved driveway, which looks like somebody poured the asphalt themselves because the edges are kind of irregular. Uh, What grass is left is, well, it's mostly dead grass. There's an old car parked halfway on the front lawn and part of it onto this curved asphalt driveway, and the right rear tire is completely flat. The car is a rust bucket, and it is filthy to the left of the car are a bunch of uh, plastic pots with potting soil, dead plants. Some of them are empty and just fallen over. There is a cinder block retaining wall and leaning up against it is an old sink. There's a work glove on a bench, just one. Dogs are kind of barking and running around. In other words, Welcome to Van Nuys, looking for a place that you can't be too casually dressed, a place for people with low IQs and low incomes, a place that looks like lower Alabama on any given day, a place where everyone still smokes cigarettes, a place where beer is the beverage of choice, and where there's no limit on the number of howling dogs. Yes, Van Nuys could be the place for you. The scene is fairly simple. I'm gonna walk up to this front door of this house, I'm gonna ring the doorbell, an albino actress playing a teenage girl is going to answer the door. We're going to have some dialogue back and forth. Uh, I'm wondering where her daddy went. Uh, Where'd he went to? And uh, she, of course, is spacey and wearing sort of, you know, pajamas in the middle of the day, uh, about five feet tall, long blonde hair. The actress herself actually uh, quite a delightful person. Do they get around to starting my scene at two o'clock since my call time is at (laughs) two? Oh, no. When you show up on a set, uh, they're almost never ready to go. So by the time they got around to actually filming my scene, it was more like 4.30, so three hours later. What did I do in that three hours? Of course, I said hello to people and conversed uh, with folks as I could. I don't like to interfere. With any kind of crew members or actors uh, that they're in the middle of doing something, I do like to ingratiate myself. One of the most important things on the set for me is what's known as craft services. Those are the people that provide the food and drink. And most of the food and drink on sets is really, really good. Oh, yeah. There's the cheap sets, the non-union sets where, you know, somebody has gone to the 99-cent store and bought maybe a liter of Doctor's Slice or some kind of off-brand chips and some kind of off-brand version of Red Vines and bags of off-brand chips. The, uh, I think the operative word here is, you know, off-brand. But this was a good set. They asked me, uh, we're going to, uh, what would you like uh, for lunch? Do you want beef or chicken? and I just went beef. I'm not picky about stuff, really. Later on, it turns out that they gave me a euro, and I haven't had a euro since the year zero. I mean, it's been a long time, and I really enjoyed it. Meanwhile, one of the actors, oh, by the way, there is no such thing as an actress anymore or actor, those designations of uh, gender, gone. Everyone is now an actor. So one of the actors who happens to be Someone who identifies as female. I know, it's important in L.A., nobody else in the country gives a crap. Well, maybe New York City and San Francisco, but everywhere else, nobody cares. It's an issue, people. Issues. She is enjoying her Greek salad until near the bottom she discovers a tea tiny eensy weensy particle of what could be cheese and all of a sudden she freaks out and she starts spitting the lettuce and whatever is left in the salad out onto the ground going I'm a vegan I can't believe it oh I hope I don't get sick for my scene oh no I think I'm starting to fix sick now and she just kind of you know goes off then the uh other actor is that a B? Is that a B? That, that, that can't be bad. I'm highly allergic. Ah, bah, bah, ah, and runs off into the house. So we were all sitting outside uh, in the backyard under a covered porch near the uh, fallen over exercise equipment, what looked like empty bottles of fabric softener that were just heaved into the backyard, what looked like a wrecked and rusted children's swing that's been in disuse for probably 20 years. And she runs into the house. And you know it's not on me. It's not on me. Get it off me! Ah! And of course there was no B there. Let's move it forward. So finally, they're time for to do my scene. Now I should say, people think that somebody who is a cinematographer, also known as the director of photography, person that has the camera. Let's say it's a shot where the camera is on their shoulder. That they would pick up the camera, put it on their shoulder. Set up the frame of the shot, you know, focus it and yeah and ready to go. Uh, <laughs> that's not how it works. No, 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 no. you'll say. First of all, you must have a person known as a grip, okay? And the reason is they grip things, and they are strong persons. And what they do is they take the camera and they lift it off a stand, and they place it upon the shoulders of the camera operator. Yes, yes, they do. And then when they're done, they lift it off the shoulder of the camera operator and place it back on the stand. Now, does the camera operator focus on the... Oh, no, 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 no. Dear, dear boy, dear boy, no. You see... There is a separate person known as the focus puller. Or as we used to say, too much focus pulling and you'll go blind. And that person is remote, it's electronic, and they have a screen in front of them. Now, what if a lens needs to be changed on this camera? Can the camera operator change the lens? (laughs) Oh, no. First of all, they can't just reach around. There's another person that goes and gets the lenses. These lenses are very, very expensive. It all kind of makes sense if you understand that you don't want to drop the camera when you're putting it on your shoulder. You don't want to sprain your shoulder or your arm. And then, you know, you, you got a camera operator that's out. You don't want to throw your back out. You don't want to drop the dang thing. And the lenses being extremely expensive. You, you need someone that, you know, knows how to handle them properly and put them on and off. Then you have the gaffer who does the lighting. Then you have the electricians. You have makeup artists, wardrobers, hairstylists. PAs uh, that do various tasks, and they're gophers. They're called production assistants. Now, every PA I've ever met is usually a woman in her 20s, overweight, with gaffer's tape in different colors that runs from the wrist all the way up the forearm, a walkie-talkie, greasy hair and greasy fingers, dirty ball cap, and a really, really bad attitude. Again, when Orson Welles says a director needs an army, they really do. There's also this thing called apple crates. And those are things that if someone's too short or they need to get a little taller, they can stand on those. But can the production sound person that's holding the boom mic over me for my scene, uh, but only maybe five feet tall. It's a little hard when she's off to the side, several steps down from the cement porch, the cement porch. She's stretching as far as she can, you know, up there to get that, that microphone in place. So she might have, she needed some apple crates, but can she go get them? Oh, that's not her job. No, stay in your lane, buster. All right, you need to stay in your lane. That's what the assistant director's busy doing. Now it's time for my scene. Okay, we got to do, first of all, a blocking rehearsal. So the, the DP, the director of photography, and the director can look and see if I'm in frame and how they want to set this up. And, and they're like, okay, so uh, a step to the right. Okay, another step to the right. No, no, just one more step to the right. And I'm like, my right shoulder is up against the side of the house. I can't step any further to the right. And they're like, okay. Beyond me to make a suggestion that they might need to move the camera. But then they realize, you know, I think we might need to move the camera. Now they we get the blocking right and where the albino chick is going to stand and where I'm going to stand. And we're ready for a take. The action. The red door opens. And the albino chick playing the weirdo teenager just kind of looks at the ground and looks, you know, like disoriented. And I just stare at her and stare at her and stare at her. And I don't move my head. Why is this? In normal conversation, we move our heads and we look about this and that. (laughs) The problem is on camera, if you don't keep your head steady when you're in a medium close-up to a close-up, On a 75-foot screen, you move your nose a quarter inch, and it looks like it's just moved a mile. So you have to create the illusion. But they want me to look around and be kind of surprised by her. So I'm using my eyes to do that, and I'm looking at her, and I'm staring, and I'm staring, and I'm staring. Now I say my line. And she keeps looking on the ground and around and the wall and this and that and not at me. And I just keep staring at her. And the thing is, you just keep... Doing what you do until they give you the other line or until somebody yells cut. Because it could be that there's something in my expression that the editor later might really like just from all that staring. So I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Finally, the director yells cut. She's like, Oh, I forgot my line. And I'm like, And I tell her the line. She goes, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we got to reset. Okay. Another take. Quiet, quiet, everybody. And we do another take. Door opens. I stare at her and uh, say my line and now i'm waiting for her to say her line and she doesn't <laughs> and then there's another cut and she forgot her line again it's a very simple short line i don't want to give away anything from the movie just in case you know and so we got to reset again all right so now we third time No, you know take three click and we start over again and i stare at her and i say my line she then says her line Very good. Very good. We're we're already starting off right. And all of a sudden, a jet flies overhead. Roar. And it's like, all right, hold for sound, hold for sound. You know, reset, reset. Everyone settle. Quiet. Mark. Blah, 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 blah. And we start over. We're on to take four. We start. We get a a bit of a rhythm going. It's feeling right. It's, It's, you know, you can tell. That uh, it's just working. Sometimes you can just tell it really is working. And all of a sudden, the next door neighbor's car alarm goes off. Cut. And we got to hold for sound again. We start over from the top. Repeat, repeat, repeat. We're going along. We get a little bit past where we were in the prior take when a dog gets loose and starts running around on the porch and barking and barking and barking because it wants to play. People wonder, why does it take so long to make movies? Why are they so expensive? And who the hell are all these people on the crew? That's a little bit of a taste of it. Now, that's just one angle because later they have to do the reverse angle, which means the camera has to now be looking at the other actors not just on me. then there's another angle that's a low angle, then there's a side angle. And anyway, by the time you get half a dozen lines out, it could take hours to get that scene right. And if you got the sun behind you, then they got to move the baffling, and then someone that's in charge of the baffling has to move it, et cetera et. Cetera. But it's a whole hell of a lot of fun. and that's just a little taste of acting and a little bit of behind the scenes. All right, so you're not slapping your knees in laughter. But, you know, maybe I thought you'd like a little bit of insight into how these things are done. You know, grow up.